Welcome back to the Syracuse Football Podcast. I'm Stephen Bailey, joined as always by Julian Wiggum. And we are here to talk about Syracuse's 41-3 win over Holy Cross. Uh, kind of a weirder game than we expected. The backups didn't get quite as much time um, as we kind of you know, thought they might going in. We kind of discussed 10 guys who we wanted to see, and you know, I think a couple of them didn't even get in. So it ended up being a game where you had these two big targeting penalties and, and subsequent ejections. Tommy DeVito gets hurt at the beginning of the fourth quarter. You're not exactly everything Syracuse probably wanted going into its bye week. Um, so we're going to cover all that. Uh, first thing, you know, that, that kind of just jumped out to me and something I've been thinking about in the couple hours since the game is those two targeting calls and, and really – how the fans kind of reacted to them cheering on the mm-hmm. players as they walked off. Um, so let's start with the Tyrell Richards uh, targeting call. You know, what did you kind of see on, on that one, Julian? Yeah. So in that instance, because at first, and this is my football player naturally want to defend the guy uh, thought process was every tackle in the history of football, the helmet makes contact first. Every single one. If you go look, you might 99% of them, 99.99, and the one that isn't, they're like the little ones that you rip a guy down with your hands or something. So I'm watching the play, and I see the guy, Richards, he launches up, and the problem was when he went, he ducks his head. He ducks his head and doesn't keep his face mask up. And then, because I think he ended up hitting him uh, kind of square, like just above the uh, shoulder area yep. um, that kind of hits the rule book of targeting, ducks his head and then hits above the shoulder. In that instance, I'm like, all right, yep, that's a flag, that's textbook, that's something that, you know, they have to throw the flag on that. And it, when they did, I was like, all right, that makes sense. But football me the, the defensive coordinator in me is when my guy comes back to the sideline after doing something like that my only words to him are yo keep your head up great hit and i'm going to continue to encourage it but also coach up keep keeping his head up because that's what's going to draw the flag and the reason they're calling that flag is to protect you so that coaches emphasize keeping your head up using your face mask to get and getting your head across rather than leading with the crown of your head because that can put you in uh, serious uh, danger of a very bad injury. You know, those neck injuries you, you don't really come back from. So, you know, you want to keep your head up, and the reason they had those tones is so that coaches emphasize keeping your head up. So, and I think that's what's going to happen. Coach Babers and all his defensive coaches are going to tell uh, Richards, yep, keep your head up. So, uh, that penalty made a lot of sense to me. Uh, the fans doing it. Uh, I understand as well because you know you just want you want you want to support your guys, but uh, the penalty itself I had no problem with. Yeah, I agree with you, and and I understand a lot of old school football guys are like, oh, you know, it's not the way the game should be played. Fair enough, you know, you can go die on that hill. Changes are being made to, you know, hopefully improve the long term lives of of quarterbacks and of other players who are getting hit. So I kind of see that, you know. Uh, like you said, head down and forcible contact. You know, un- you know. Unfortunately for Tyrell, those two bo- checking those two boxes alone is enough for targeting. Um, all right, so I, let's let's move move forward to the very end of the game. The freshman defensive yeah. tackle Drew Tuizama gets <clears throat> gets an opportunity to come in, gets a free run, and delivers a, a, a 
to me, and I think to most people watching, a, a much more vicious hit um, where there was some helmet-to-helmet contact. Both really tall guys, I think 6'5 and 6'5, the backup quarterback. Um, right. What, what did you kind of think of that one, Julian? Yeah, so this one I would I disagree with. And reason being is because the technical aspect of playing football is applied here. His face mask is up. He actually wraps the quarterback up and squeezes and drives him down. Uh, the guys are both the same height. And in this instance, what is he supposed to do? I advise anybody who supports the rule as it's applied here to try to run and then all of a sudden change your momentum, whether that's trying to bend down or change the way you're leveraging yourself and your upper body to contort and make a way to hit this guy. You're both, one, allowing the quarterback to make a play and get away from the tackle, and then, two, putting yourself in danger because now you're doing things that are unnatural to your body at a high speed, and now that that's completely against what the purpose of the rule is. You're putting yourself at danger trying to help a quarterback not get hit. He signed the waivers, too. And in this instance, I think that this play, this I think it's a great hit. If I'm his D coordinator, I'm saying do it again, big fella. We're gonna take it, knock him out. And this, then the other part, and this is like the the evil little part of of the Julian Wiggum announcement. Now apologize to listeners now, <laughs> but every every single football coach, like for the, uh, maybe in future generations, not so much as they get softer, but everyone right now. And I'm telling you, even the ones that are getting raised up now, because I have a few that are younger uh, GA coaches moving up, they're going to tell their guys, wrap up the quarterback. And in that, in this situation, you want to wrap him up and squeeze him because then you can drive his shoulder into the dirt. It's much more beneficial to put his shoulder into the ground wrapping up than it is to take a, a kill shot with the crown of your helmet and risk you getting hurt because chances are he'll get back up from that. He's not going to want to be – he can't throw the ball the same if it shows in the dirt three, four times a game. So that's the evil side of it. But in this instance, with the, as it's applied, I don't like the rule because he's technically – and I mean that as in tackling technique, doing what he is supposed to do. Um, even though he did uh, make helmet-to-helmet contract, they're the same size. They're the same height. So I so it, all of a sudden I have to change the way I approach tackling somebody so that he can uh, so that he feels better. The, my problem with all of this, uh, Stephen, as far as the rule changes, I support you know going ahead and throwing the flags so that coaches are incentivized to coach the technique better and to get their players out of bad tackling habits. But I have a, a real problem with penalties that disincentivize playing actual football. You know, so when I have a guy making great plays, playing with great energy, and he's uh, flagged because he hit someone too hard, that's a problem. Or, but that's my my biggest thing is I don't like to see the game watered down for no reason. And in these instances here where a ref says, ooh, that one looked like it was hard, no, that's that's not how the rules should be applied. That that should not warrant a flag. Um, if a guy gets hit in the head in that instance, you know what? Again, evil part of Julian, evil part of football. Oh well, it, that's part of the game. You signed the waivers. You put the pads on. You signed up for this. And I really, really, really hate the people who sit in the comment sections who, who never played and say he shouldn't get hit like that 
or this game shouldn't be like that because you know what? Again, when you sign those waivers and you know what the game is about, if you play the game the right way with the right technique like that last play, you know, those helmet-to-helmet contact, that I think that should be allowed. I think it should be, and if you don't want to have that kind of contact, don't play the game. It, it really bothers me when people try to take punching out of boxing. And uh, in this instance here, again, I am fully for and support rules that incentivize coaches to coach their players better so that they are tackling with better fundamentals and playing with better technique to keep themselves safe and to make more plays. But when the penalties are thrown just because a play is a, a play uh, seems like it's too physical or it, it seems like it's too rough, that's when I draw my line because this is a contact sport. Guys do get hit. And in this instance where the technique was perfect, the wrap-up was perfect, and you've got two taller guys and you're basically penalizing my guy for being 6'5 as well, uh, that's an issue for me. And then another part, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm starting to get uh, a little long-winded here, another part just from a, a player standpoint, especially in the NFL, guys would much rather you hit them up top than hit them low. I can't tell you how many times I was in camp and there's, and of course, you know, me and lots of other guys who are just trying to make plays, we're going to take, we're going to swing at the fences. We're going to get you down as however we can. There are guys who say, yo, I will pay your fine. Please do not hit me low. If you the quarterbacks, do not touch my knees. Uh, they tell DBs in the, in the secondary receivers coming up, yo, if you can hit me, hit me high. I'll pay your fine because I can get back up from a shoulder injury. And there's a lot of guys in the NFL especially say, even like if it seems like concussion, I can come back from that. I can't come back from knee injuries. Uh, those end my career and shorten my money. So there's players in the NFL and even in college that do not want to get hit low. So they encourage guys going back up top. And I just think it's an issue when I've got a 6'5 guy going against a 6'5, 6'6 quarterback. And he has to change the way he plays because we're trying to make this game safer. So I think it's a very layered issue. But from a football perspective, if it's uh, if the technique is coached the right way and applied the right way, and it just so happens that it is applied in a physical manner, uh, that's when I can't support that flag. But um, again, very two different instances, um, and I think they're great. Uh, looks at how this rule is applied, but on that last one, that defensive end, I forget his name. I apologize, but uh, I, I, on this one, I, I had to disagree. I, I, don't, I didn't like that penalty at all. Let me let me push back with with a question, and I, I certainly appreciate where you're coming from. So it's Drew Tuizami's true freshman, and <clears throat> to kind of contextualize this, this is a guy who I don't believe had played before this. So he's coming on. Mm-hmm. You want to impress the coaching staff? This is your chance. So what? I get all that, and rewatching the play with you, you know, initially when I saw it, I was like, man, that's, from my perspective, really, really bad. But you know what? You're right. His head was up. Tyrell Richards was not. And, you know, I'm not a 6'6 defensive lineman. I don't know what it's like to have to deal with that. So I guess my question is, how hard is it to change to change your, I guess, angle or t- your tackling angle to hit someone in the chest Rather than, or maybe under the under the armpit, rather than in the head, in in a situation like that. Um, I would say, I mean, I don't know how to scale this. I mean, if out of out of ten, I'd say a nine point five because you're going at a, a, a high speed one, and then two, 
if I'm looking at a guy, he is moving. I'm trying to hit a, a moving target, and I have no. And if I my head's up, yes, I have a good sense of where the the square of his shoulder pads are. And again, I, I really think he hit him just below the chin strap. I believe if I saw this correctly. Um, and in this instance, again, how am I? If I'm running full speed. As soon as I launch, there is no changing direction. As soon as I'm on my tiptoes and there is an inch between the bottom of my cleats and the field, there's no changing direction. And if I try to change and stop my momentum and wait to, oh, let me try to get him in the chest, or oh, let me go for the waist, all of a sudden he can get away. This is a fantastic example. Just thought about it now. Uh, I had a chance, mind you, I'm a corner, rarely hit quarterbacks. Um, in two instances, though, one against Wake Forest, I was uh, going against uh, the kid from The Bachelor, uh, uh, Tyler Cameron, and in that instance, he was facing away from me, and me, I just, I'm just not a big hitter, never was. I was like 190 pounds, and I think he's close to 215, 220. I went for his waist, and I, I was coached up well at Dwyer High School, always had the face mask up, uh, shout out to Coach Daniels, and I went for his waist. All of a sudden, quarterback can feel the wrap towards his waist and can make a maneuver to get out of my tackle. I think he ended up going down because I got some help from a defensive lineman, but changing my angle, knowing that I can't just knock people out by hitting them in the back, I go for the waist, He makes a, he's able to move, and get away. I made an adjustment, but this is all me knowing, you know what, I'm going to hit him where I can because I'm just not physically big enough to knock this guy down from a straight angle. If I was, I would have done that because that's more effective than going for his waist. And I can't tell a defensive lineman, you know what, do something that's not in the best interest of my team, uh, not getting this guy down by going for his waist. A second example, Jacoby Brissett. He's coming across, shout out to Dwyer again, we're everywhere. Uh, He's coming across, and I think he was on a bootleg. Again, I could have launched and gone with the shoulder at him, could have made a maneuver to uh, go up top. But, again, he's much bigger than me. I go for the waist. He's able to push away. Again, some of these instances are guys being bigger than me. But when you're going for the waist and trying to make a tackle – it's much more difficult to get that guy down because he still has his legs underneath him. He and guys squat all the time, and you squat because you're going to be bending, you're going to be pushing, and trying to get away from guys. They have strong legs. If you're going for the waist, they have plenty of ways to get away from you. Rather than if I'm going straight ahead up top, squeezing you at the top by your shoulder pads and bringing you to the ground, you lose your legs, you lose your upper body strength. You're going to the ground, and it's an effective way to tackle. If you keep your face masked up, you're going to make the tackle. So for a defensive end, it is much more difficult to change your direction, and it's also a less effective way to tackle somebody. So in a two-pronged effort here, I really I can't see where I would ever coach a guy to you can't tell them to change the way you tackle or at the point of attack all of a sudden go for a different angle. Like that's just not physically possible in football at the point of attack when you go to make a tackle. Anybody who's ever tackled a tackling dummy knows that. Like if I were to set some six year olds up to say, <laughs> Hey, hit this blue tackle dummy and then as they launch, say, Oh, oh, oh nope, stop. You gotta go lower. 
they would never, ever figure out how to tackle. They would look at me like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. This doesn't work. If a six-year-old could realize that, it's very hard to convince grown men and, and young 18, 19-year-olds the same thing. Like It's just hard to change the way you tackle once you're at the point of attack, and it's very difficult to all of a sudden change your target once you get there. So, again, I think in that last instance there at the defensive end, I thought he did a great job, and it, it's, it's difficult to say, hey, hit him lower when there's zero incentive to do so. Yeah, that's fair. That's a really good perspective, and I mean, I think people like me, and there's a lot of them watching the game who didn't play football at a high level, you know, probably don't realize just how difficult that is. Um, so thanks for that. I got one more thing on the targeting penalties I wanted to go over. And, you know, I was thinking back about both of them. And to, to me, it was two guys trying to make a play. For better for better or worse, two guys trying to make a play. Nothing malicious about it. But kind of the, the part that lingered with me that was kind of troubling was the way the crowd treated them when they jogged off was kind of a standing a standing ovation, basically. So, you know, as, I'm curious, as a player, do you think that's as simple as supporting like I've kind of waffled back and forth in this as supporting the guy on your team, or can you really, you know, on on a play, ta- targeting rules are basically put in to protect players. Can you really applaud right. applaud that? Like, do you see? I guess what's your kind of take on that? So I think the home crowd. I, I think again, it, it's part good and then part bad. I'll start with the good. The good, I think, the fans are supporting their own. They're supporting the player. Hey. We're behind you. We know your intent. We know uh, what you were trying to do. We support you. We're going to stand up. We'll clap for you. Hey, man, keep going after them. Make a play next time. I think that's the initial fan reasoning for clapping a guy up, their own guy, and then in the same instance they'll boo uh, an opposing player for doing the same thing. It's because we don't support you. We don't like you. We don't want you doing that to our guys. Um, so I definitely think there's a large uh, portion of the pie that is of support for a guy when he is ejected from the game after committing such a penalty. Um, and then the evil bad side of it, I think people enjoy violence. I, I, <laughs> that's part of the reason you, you a know lot it. of people yeah, – absolutely – they are drawn to football because of the physicality and the violence. It, it, it's just part of the game. It's why it's the biggest sport in the country. It's why the revenue is crazy in the NFL. People like the game because of how the sport is played. And when you are the home crowd and you support your guy, but you also see them you know, dominating uh, the other team in such a fashion with their physicality and, and the strength that they have, um, that's going to play a part. People are going to uh, support that as well. They're going to say, you know what? Yeah, we we like like yeah. You're, you're going to get behind that. There's people watching the game and you know jumping out and their beers are spilling, chips are everywhere, and they're like, yeah, we appreciate that. That's part of why we watch the game of football. Physicality and violence for you know a number of reasons is entertaining people. So um, on the bad side, yes, I do think there's a part of fans who are supporting one the player but also the hit as well because of the physicality and because of the violence and because they're supporting a team their team dominating another opponent yeah you know i really thought initially after especially after the two Izama hit, i really thought it was callous on the fans part but after hearing kind of your explanation about the play you know and that you know it 
at least in your perspective, and I'm sure it's shared by probably a lot of people in the Syracuse sidelines, that it was a good play. Just kind of unfortunate that the face mask hit, you know, the bottom of the quarterback's helmet. Um, yep. You know, so so there's some give and take to it, and it's probably a kid. You know, Drew is pumping up the crowd. It's probably a kid who's excited that you know he thought he did make a good play, even if he was penalized. So. You know, I think you're probably right. Now, I th- I think those same Syracuse fans who are cheering for this, if the roles are reversed and you're at Florida State and Tommy DeVito takes that hit, oh, well, that guy's classless. Oh, you know, it's all all those things. So there's two there's two sides to that coin. Um, but it was really it was really an interesting <clears throat> an interesting set of examples there. So I'm, I was glad we got to dive into that. Um, the other, you know, the other kind of big takeaway from the game is, you know, Syracuse didn't escape totally healthy, and the one guy who you don't want getting hurt, Tommy DeVito, <laughs> you know, ends up getting right. hurt. Um, so we don't have a ton of information. Tommy and Dean, you know, Tommy said through a radio interview uh, with Matt Park, the voice of the Orange, that basically I'm good. Um, Dino said he, you know, he saw him, and, and Tommy gave him gave him the thumbs up. I'm sure there's going to be more testing done kind of on that throwing arm and the upper body area. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, what, you know, what is that kind of, you know, this is a, this is a team that wanted to use this week and the bye week to get healthy and to gain confidence. What kind of wrench does that kind of throw into it? Maybe not knowing where your starting quarterback is. Yeah. So um, two answers here. So one, you either get in and you see right away, Hey, are you going to be okay? Yes or not? Like, that happens. I'm going to tell you right now in locker rooms, if a guy, especially a quarterback, is hurt, I can't tell you um, how many times that would be annoying with massive, like, yo, you good, man? And he would just be like, yo, get out of my face with him. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you would see, like, okay, if he's fine, we're good. Um, but you kind of get a sense of where, especially an important player like your quarterback, or um, I can remember when I would, like, Shamarco would go down and he'd have his injuries and we'd like, go, yo, you good? And we got a sense of, all right, if he's fine, you know, we're fine. We'll figure it out. Uh, the thought process was when we knew a guy was going to be out that we really needed, uh, again, it was we're just encouraging the next guy. But we're also worried because it's like, dang, everybody knows if your quarterback goes down, typically so does your season. And in this instance with DeVito, it's one of those things where if he all of a sudden is gone, I think that would really hurt your team because it it actually starts usually uh, top down. Usually coaches, if you see this um, on hard knocks all the time, when they talk about, oh, when you lose a quarterback, the, the, your season's over, don't touch quarterback and all this stuff. All those football documentaries, never you never want to see your quarterback go down because that typically is the end of your season as well. Um, and it starts top down with those coaches who you can tell get down and all of a sudden their team starts to feel that as well and they start to go down. So I think it's really important that DeVito comes back healthy, um, that he maintains a sense of leadership saying either, A, I'm going to be here, or I'm working to get back, uh, because teams feel that and coaches know that. And once players start to see their coaches get a little bit worried, they start to worry. So uh, this is a moment where leadership has to step up, and not just the players themselves and those seniors and juniors and guys who play a lot but also coaches maintaining their game plan and, and, and being solid because we watch that as players. We look at your demeanor. We see if you're all of a sudden upset that things aren't going well. We know when you're worried. Like, all these things matter. It's kind of like when kids watch their parents and the parents are upset. All of a sudden, kids know something's wrong with the house. So, in this instance, 
one, I think the veto needs to do a great job of either one, uh, being a leader and say, hey, I'm okay, I'm good, let's keep going, or B, saying, you know what, I'm rehabbing, I'm going to get back, we'll figure it out. And then two, needs coaches to say, hey, we've got a game plan for this, we know what we can do, this is how we're going to continue to improve. So it, it's a difficult situation, and uh, when a quarterback goes down, most of the team knows, all right, we've got a, a season ahead of us that's going to be much dip, more difficult than we thought. Um, but if Navito can come back or at least show that he's on the way of progressing back, especially with the bye week, I think this team will be okay. And, and I'll say this, fans are going to be on ice for a while because it's the bye week, which is, is good for Tommy, but you know we're not going to hear from Dino Babers until next Sunday. So mm. we, we really won't know anything else, um, at least publicly, until then. Actually, excuse me, next Monday, the players are available next Sunday. Obviously, that NC State game is in two Thursdays, so the whole media availability schedule is pushed up. Um, just kind of my two cents looking at it. I, I think I think there's hope that it's, that it's short-term. I think Tommy's probably going to go through testing the next couple days. Um, but you know, as you you know, Julian, guys, this this isn't necessarily even something that happened in the game. You know, guys will will get a strain or or a bad bruise or something during the season. We saw Dungey have, I, what I believe was an AC joint sprain in his shoulder against Western Michigan last year that mm-hmm. lingered for a while. So I think on the outside, you never fully know what people are dealing with. But um, I think the hope is that it's short term for Tommy. But but you know, we're gonna see. Um, and uh, as anyone who's followed Syracuse football for the last decade knows, you don't want to have to lean on your backup quarterback because last year when they had Eric and Tommy is, is really the only year yeah. that they survived it. Um, so that's a good segue into kind of looking back at the 10 guys we said we were looking forward to seeing. Um, we can knock one of them off the list right away, and Steve Linton, one of my guys, did not play his foot's in a walking boot. Um, so we got nine left to pick from. Uh, anyone kind of jump out to you, Julian, from those nine, or even another kind of young player who, who kind of popped? Uh, I like the two linebackers I picked between Juan Wallace and Michael Jones. I thought both of them did a solid job when they got a chance to get in there. Uh, this is a, a, You didn't even ask me, and I'm really upset with myself for bringing it up. I wasn't necessarily impressed with much of what Syracuse did today, uh, but – I thought, for the most part, the defense did a decent job. The young guys, again, Juan Wallace and Michael Jones. I think I'm saying his name wrong. Did a no, good that's job it. today. Michael. Yes, Michael Jones. Yep. So I thought those two guys were. And again, I really want to see the linebackers themselves and that young core and what they had uh, do a little bit because. And that was my point last last time on the podcast was just trying to see with the defensive line those young guys could they play well with those linebackers be able to step up make some plays especially sideline to sideline um i think the defense has missed the speed of a zaire franklin and paris bennett for a little bit uh when it comes to team speed at the linebacker position especially with the kind of opponents that Syracuse still has left on the schedule i mean the rest of the acc uh Syracuse seems to be right there in that above average group uh, with them and I think that the defense is going to have to play a huge role especially as the offense still continues to figure it out so um, I was encouraged by a play of the young guys uh, at linebacker knowing that there's a little bit of depth there that can uh, continue to grow. Yeah I thought Mike uh reacted a little quicker he had a really nice quarterback hit on a blitz um just he just it just seems like someone who's naturally growing from reps and his run fits and just yeah. kind of he's a little more decisive and and we've seen that from Lakeem Williams too to be quite honest I, I actually think he's moving really well um, mm-hmm. another young guy that kind of jumped out to me and I mean anyone who watched the game Luke Benson seventy yard uh, touchdown from the freshman tight end and is like now that 
you know, everyone knows how fast he is. Once he caught that ball from Tommy DeVito, maybe 30 yards downfield, a little out route, you knew no mm-hmm. one was catching him. He ran, uh, I think, sub-11 seconds in the 100 meters in high school. I mean, he, no one's oh. catching him. Yeah, he's fast. He's real fast. So I, I think – and obviously he can't redshirt now. He's played in five games. So I think he's really yep. emerged as someone who, who can contribute and who brings something a little different to the tight end position. He is faster than Aaron Hackett. And no, he can't block the way Aaron or, or Chris Elmore can. But to me, he was someone who I saw playing was like, you know, like he, he could be really a, a bigger part of uh, game plans uh, moving forward. Uh, I'm trying to think who else we saw in there. Jawar Jordan got a little bit of run late. He, he had made a nice run on fourth and six and then fumbled. Forward progress might have been stopped. You know, I'm sure Jawar would like that one back. Um, yeah. Uh, Clayton Welch got and a I couple. I can tell you. Go ahead. I can tell you uh, when you see plays like that, whether it's um, a fumble or just those jitters from getting in the game, uh, or like a corner that gets beat on his first play or something like that. I can tell you that the mindset is the same every single time, and it's just don't mess up. And, of course, <laughs> you do when you think like that. Uh, it's, just, it's just really funny because I thought – at first I thought it was just me. Like, I, I remember my first play um, getting in. Uh, I got beat on a slant. I'm like, dang, man, my first time in. But then I would hear it from uh, uh, guys like Brandon Reds, like, don't worry, man. I thought the same thing on a fade. Or uh, I'd hear uh, Tyson go, like, man, my first carry, I almost dropped the ball as soon as I – like, this guy's always saying their first play, their first play. Um, and the mindset is always don't mess up. So when you see that, it's like, oh, man, I know it was going on in his mind. But um, I think that's a positive thing as well because that means he wants to be good. He cares about the game, um, at least in the fashion that he wants to perform well. So uh, those little mistakes like that, especially from freshmen, when you play a team like Holy Cross, you can laugh, kind of pat him on the head and say, hey, man, it's going to be okay. You'll figure it out. Yeah, for sure. Um, Clayton Welch got a couple drives in there. Syracuse fans, I hope they won't see him against NC State. But not really not really enough for me to take away anything significant. Same with Courtney Jackson. Alan Stritzinger kind of had his same role as the backup nickelback. Uh, he made a, a good tackle in space. I don't think your boy Cam Jonas got in, did he? I didn't see him, which was uh, kind of frustrating to me. Yeah, Eric Holy seems to be the guy they're looking at, and I think he's might even be getting a little bit of a larger snap share, uh, even in, in kind of, I guess early, not early, early in the game. You know, so I wonder if he'll mix yep. in a little more. Um, anyone we're missing? No one that I can think of. Um, I think we covered just about everyone who got in there. Yeah, it's kind of you kind of would have I think would have hoped to see more guys, but. Um, you know, that's what happens when you play your starting quarterback when you're up 41-3. And, uh, you know, Dino, Dino said they wanted to get those guys more reps. Um, basically, that's basically what he implied. Um, and that's why Tommy was still in when he got hurt. I mean, Dino has spoken at length again and again about the wide receivers missing time during camp. So I think he still values every rep they're getting. Uh, and, and same thing with the first-team offensive line. I still think, you know, he believes that for better or worse. Um, so that's why those guys were in there. Um, let's uh, let's jump over to a few fan questions from Doc Vernold. Are there any jet sets, jet sweep sets? I'm assuming that they can use to get the ball in the hands of of Sean Riley. Yeah, we've seen him. We've seen a little uh, little pop jet sweep that they've run in the past, and I'm honestly kind of surprised they haven't tried to get the ball in his hands more that way. I don't know if it's a product of the way some teams are defending them. I know we saw Clemson play a lot of press man coverage, so I, I don't know if that might take that away a little bit. Um, 
But yeah, I think they need to find ways to get the ball in his hands. And we saw Taj Harris make some great plays after the catch today. Uh, finding ways yep. to get them the ball. Anything that kind of jumps out to you opportunity-wise? Uh, for Sean Riley, and I was uh, relatively harder on him early and early on in the season. I think he's played pretty well for the most part. I think him, Taj Harris, Nike Johnson, I think, honestly, I, I really believe that they're all kind of the same player. Uh, I think Taj Harris may have a little bit more of a vertical threat to, to him in terms of going up for the football. But when you're trying to create space for your playmakers on the outside, especially in terms of jet sweeps, you kind of have to scheme it. So you're looking at, well, what do we have on the outside? How are the defensive ends playing us? And where are linebackers lining up against our slot receivers? Are they putting corners over top of those guys? And in a lot of games this year, you're seeing safeties coming up to the box. Uh, You're seeing linebackers almost playing inside out of defensive ends, defensive ends rushing up the field. When you have two tackles who don't seem to uh, consistently block the edge and set the edge for you to give you some space, uh, it's kind of hard to run those types of plays to your receivers. Uh, and, and that's why maybe we haven't seen it as much as we would like to, especially with playmakers like that. And that's why you typically you just spot in the ball right there, hot in the ball when there's uh, no one covered over top of them. But teams have done a good job of adjusting to Coach Baber's offense lately. And uh, it just with the amount of the way that they've been able to execute so far, um, teams are doing a really good job of covering down and making it difficult um, on the play call. Yeah, I've kind of wondered if, if we might see a few more slants. We really didn't see a lot of them the first few weeks, and then uh, I think Tristan's touchdown came on one today. Saw a couple last week, so maybe that's a a way to get Sean and, and Nikeem involved because they really they really haven't been. Um, all right, next question. We kind of touched on this one. A lot of young guys got run in this one. Who stood out the most and why? I would say Mike Cowell and Luke Benson. Do we really hit on that? Uh, the other side, who disappointed and why? Uh I don't know. I, I, there was no one who really jumped out to me in that regard. I mean, Juwar had the fumble. Uh, you know, I, like you kind of said, is there really – how disappointing can you be if you're coming in and kind of making one of your first appearances? You just kind of got to take it for what it's worth. Yeah, no, I don't think any one guy was disappointing. But I will say I think Syracuse's efficiency on offense is disappointing this season. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, – the unit as a whole on offense has not has been disappointing up to this point. Uh, I don't know who exactly is in full control of that, but uh, up to this point, it hasn't been what it needs to be. I'll say that. Um, and I know a number of people who believe so. So in that instance, I'll go with the unit, um, and I think it could be better. And it's, 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 it's strange to me why or how after one year, and this, this is, this is me just, thinking out loud how um, you go from pretty productive on offense with both your starter for the most part, Dungey, and then DeVito being able to come in, making plays. Uh, we saw against very talented teams like Florida State and UNC. And then all of a sudden, it's just not there anymore. Um, and I don't think that's a schematical thing. I, I, I do um, – as just a foreign player myself, I'll, I'll go and say, hey, guys, what are you guys doing? Like, where, what's going on? I know Coach Babers hasn't changed. People don't just all of a sudden just switch their schemes up. What's going on? Um, but in that instance, it, it's just very disappointing to see how much of a step back this offense have taken, has taken. Um, and I don't know. And I, th- I do think it's a combination of guys just understanding what they need to do and coaches getting them right. But 
if anything that's been disappointing up to this point, I will say it has been efficiency on offense, and you have to hope it improves, uh, especially with the uh, slate coming up. It was a schedule I thought Syracuse really uh, had a chance to, to be great with and, and really run the table against, but at this point, every game seems to be 50-50 toss-ups uh, going forward, and I worry uh, especially with the efficiency on offense not seeming to be uh, where it has been in the past. Yeah, I, I think we can all kind of agree on that. And I mean, look, the frustration was clear. Even Syracuse is up, I think, 24-3 or something like that. And they punted four times in a row, and then they got um, they got a turnover on special teams, and they couldn't cash in in the red zone. You know, they, they're kicking a field goal against Holy Cross. So. Right. You said you saw it. Tommy DeVito on the sideline was was pretty animated, talking with Mike Lynch, the offensive coordinator. I'm not sure specifically what in that moment, but um, you know it's boiling over a little bit. And again, good time for a bye week, but they've got to figure some things out. Uh, they they are still having trouble running the ball. I think that's one of the root causes, the offensive line. Um, and then our last question here is kind of the other element of it that I think is becoming more and more prevalent and what adjustments can they make on offense as the majority of the wide receivers are having trouble getting open even against holy cross and, and i gotta go back and watch the film to to really confirm that and say all right i really believe that but there were definitely plays out there where tommy devito didn't have many options i mean what what are you, you kind of seeing from this wide receiver group and is it just a matter of individual guys needing to to find ways to create separation this is my weakest analysis I'm ever going to give and um, I'm upset with myself but it's it's really at this point and I know that it's actually been a point at you know when Coach Babers is but it's really just play better <laughs> play better play harder <laughs> uh, like it's no I mean I'm serious I'm serious sure. because how like there's there's really not that many different things that you have to do like at the line you chop 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 beat him at the line, get upfield, you have a certain amount of time to get to your spot and make a break on the ball. Every receiver knows this, and the faster, the quicker you are, the harder it is for your defender to keep up with you at corner, right? So if you're not doing that, either one, you aren't that fast and you aren't that quick, and if Holy Cross is holding down, you shouldn't be playing, or B, you're relaxing, you're not sure what's going on, that's exactly it. You're relaxing and you're just trying to run through the motions because you think your position is solidified or you feel like, you know, I should be able to get these guys with 75% effort. That's not going to cut it. You can't do that. That you, you will play down to your opponent and eventually someone's going to beat you like that. Or you're playing slower because you don't know what's going on. And in that instance, which is much more likely, because typically when you get on the field, you try to give your best because in the coach favor system, like he will bench you. We've seen that. Um, so I just think guys aren't exactly, they're not on the same page. Uh, things aren't entirely clear. And then sometimes it, teams are just giving them uh, schemes where they're thinking too much. They're like, oh, this is different. This isn't what we're supposed to be getting. You need to have a better understanding of the offense. You need to have a better understanding of where you need to run the field so that you can play faster. And that's, that's, how, that's what it boils down to. Like football is one of the most basic and simple games out there uh, with small variables that change outcomes here and there. But it, it's really just a game of chess, and sometimes guys – when you're not sure what to do, all of a sudden you start to slow down and then you become easier to cover. I don't think Holy Cross 
was doing anything schematically that Syracuse has never seen before that should have slowed them down the way that they did. So that's the frustrating part because you know these guys are athletes out there. Um, Nikeem Johnson, I think, is, is one of the more talented guys just from watching him. Um, I think Taj Harris, who he's all breaking freshman records for a reason. He's a good receiver. Uh, we've seen what he can do uh, when he gets in open space. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Sean Riley, uh, he's got quickness, speed. He's shown better hands this season. He's improved. Like, these are guys who can play at a Division One level, yet for whatever reason, it's just not consistent and it's not there uh, on a regular basis. So I'm starting to believe that guys are being slowed down because they're not entirely sure what's going on. That's the only reason for why they will be playing at such a slower pace and allowing a team like Holy Cross to really compete with them. Um, I think things on the offensive line have made it difficult for DeVito getting the ball out. Uh, I think reads have been slower than they need to be. I don't think the chemistry is there yet. There's a number of things on this offense that uh, have contributed to their problems, and uh, it, I'm happy that they had the bye week. I'm happy that they have the Holy Cross tape to go over these things uh, because it's a number of things that going forward against teams that uh, are – Average, you know, like a Maryland, honestly, teams like that. I mean, it, it's not going well right now, and it needs to be uh, adjusted quickly because the rest of the ACC can play, um, and Syracuse is right there in the mix. I don't think that they're any more talented or less talented than the rest of the ACC outside of Clemson. So, just a matter of getting down your concepts and knowing where to be on the field and and making the right plays and understanding how to rezone and where you're supposed to be as a receiver and when you're supposed to get the ball there as a quarterback and how to block a guy down when you're on the offensive line. So uh, it's a layered issue, but guys need to buckle down and understand what they need to do because this ACC, while it's weak, it is strong enough to keep you out of uh, where you really believe that Syracuse should have been. So uh, plenty to go over during the bye week for Syracuse. Yeah, no doubt. Agree with all that. All right, that's all we got. Thanks, Julian. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for listening. Please subscribe to us on your podcast platform, iTunes, Spotify. Uh, If you'd like to purchase advertising, please contact Dylan Carpenter at 315-470-6069, and we will talk to you during the bye week. (laughs) 